The Wicked Smart Sports Guys is brought to you by SelmaxBatteries.com. As always, the go-to website for all your battery needs. Selmax Batteries carries a full line of super heavy-duty ultra-alkaline lithium and button cell batteries, and Selmax Batteries are priced much lower than their competitors. Flashlights, remote controls, game controls, headphones, digital cameras, hearing aids, smoke comes, whatever device you need a battery for, Selmax has the best batteries at the best price for your device. You can order a 24-pack of AA or AAA heavy-duty batteries for only $5.99. Only $5.99 for 24 batteries or a 24-pack of ultra-alkaline, ideal for all kinds of gaming high-tech devices at just $12.99. And those prices get even lower when you use coupon code BOSTON, that's all over case BOSTON at checkout, and you can save 20% off those prices. So that's coupon code BOSTON at checkout and save big today at sellmaxbatteries.com, C-E-L-L-M-A-X-Batteries.com, the official sponsor of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys podcast. Thanks, as always, to Dolly Dreams for the intro music. This week, we are joined by the host of the Unleashed podcast and the number one Celtics Twitter show, leader of the Unleashed Army, founder of Guy Boston Sports, the big man himself, Ev Singleton. Ev, welcome back to the show. I'm happy to be here, KJ. Let's do this. Well, I know you're not so happy to be here, Ev. You don't need to lie to me because this is a bit of a somber episode. The Celtics season is over. Um, it, they draw, fall to the Heat in six games in the Eastern Conference Finals, an unfortunate end to the season, which looked, I mean, it, it was a pretty good season overall. I have to say, I think that people are failing to recognize that. If I can just start this off by saying, coming into the season, a lot of people expected the Celtics to have something like a fall from grace. Uh, you know, they lost Kyrie Irving, they lost Al Horford, they bring in Kemba Walker and Ines Cantor, which was the, the name people thought was going to replace Al Horford in the starting lineup, and a lot of people mocked them for that, and they said the Celtics are going to be worse. They downgraded at talent, and it ended up they were better. They were a better team. They made it to Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals, and they came up short. And I, for one, underestimated the Heat. I, I, I think a lot of other people did, but the fact is they beat the Bucks. They were better than the Bucks, and they're the best team in the Eastern Conference. And Brad Stevens said it last night, and he said it perfectly. They proved they were the best team. So a lot of people want to make a lot of noise about their seed, and they just they played a lot differently. And I still think, I mean, the biggest guy I underestimated was Goran Dragic. I, I did not think Goran Dragic was going to continue to play so well. He was an all-star or an all-star caliber player. Uh, I don't think he may ever made the team. But in Phoenix, he was a really, really great player. And he got to Miami, and he hasn't played like that for a while. And he even was, you know, benched for Kendrick Nunn. And I really thought, I mean, there's no way Dragic sustains this. He's just not the same player anymore. And he, for this entire playoff run, he has played like an all-star, and it's been really impressive, and I didn't think he was going to be able to keep it up, but he has, and I think he's one of the biggest reasons that he won that series. I think if, if there's anybody in the series I did not expect to, to play as well as they did, it's definitely Drogic, and uh, that was a killer, but you know, overall, the Celtics, they still ha- like played better than anyone really expected them to. They finished as the third best team in the league, if you're just going by games played in the conference final. The Nuggets got eliminated before they did, so... I think the people are just I, I they, they people want to look at it and say oh they came up short again this this team they came they got to the Eastern Conference Finals they can't make it to the finals and it's like this is an entirely different team you know it's each year it's been different to some extent you're also undervaluing the Gordon Hayward injury which played a huge factor he was averaging close to 18 in the bubble before his injury and only averaged 10 upon his return like there are so many reasons that I just feel like people 
their expectations for the Celtics just skyrocketed based on where they were before, and I feel like it was a little bit unfair. I mean, it's just the, the fact that you changed the expectations so drastically from they're going to be worse than they were last year. Everybody's saying that. That was the whole narrative coming into the season. Everybody's saying they're going to be worse than they were last year to now, oh, I can't believe they didn't get to the finals. It's just like such a switch up, and I, it's really frustrating to me because on the one hand, I get it. I mean, I wanted to make the finals too. I thought they were going to be heat. On the other hand... Uh, I, I'm not someone who's saying, okay, tear it down, shake it all up because they didn't make the finals. It's like, no, I, I get the changing expectations based on how well they played. But at the same time, you can't then say blow it up now that they didn't because they they, they actually overachieved based on what you were saying before that. So I, I just, it, it's a very confusing, uh, for like all the, all the talk around the Celtics has been very confusing and frustrating as it, uh, similar to the frustration I experienced last season talking about them. But in this case, I think there, there are no, there's no need to make changes. So uh, I, I didn't think I was going to start with this rant, but it was a rant I went on on Twitter last night too. I don't know if you saw, but uh, even before they lost the series, I was already like getting out the, you know, getting out the shields, forming, a, forming, you know, uh, like a military wall with my tweets, like trying to defend the Celtics at all costs. And uh, I, I've been doing that for a few days now. But it is just the, the, the kind of people just attacking the Celtics. Uh, on the, on these kind of claims that they they're an underachieving team or they're a disappointment. That's that's where it really gets me. Like this is so insane based on what I was hearing before this and and how when the season was starting up. Yeah, I mean it's it's annoying to be honest. It's like you know we have a team that you know overachieved, like you said. Vegas had them at forty nine and a half wins preseason. You know they had what with the shortened season they were well on their way to smash that. Even with the shortened season, I think they came up just like a game short of even you know hitting that so they already overachieved and and the annoying part is all of these people that are now ragging on the Celtics and ragging on Brad Stevens ragging on Danny Ainge ragging on our 22 and 23 year old stars it's like where are those people going to be when this team's back and better than ever next year like that's what that's what kind of I see the next step and I get annoyed with it because there's so many people out there that are just and I tweeted it this morning they're just jumping ship acting like this season was a total loss a dumpster fire um, hit the reset button and you know it's it's not the case like those people better not be there to cheer on the team when they have a really successful year next year as well because um, you know <laughs> I'm, I'm getting ready to dig up the receipts and and catch some of these people because it's ridiculous it's like you know I, I don't bash the Celtics fan base but this is a really really you know from what I've seen on Celtics Twitter a really really ungrateful group of people that are tweeting about this because like there's so many positives to pull from this season and the fact that the first thing people uh, some people's mind goes to is let's blow it up our team sucks it's like well I mean where did you come from like have you been watching this team you know do you even love this team like it's 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 frustrating annoying and it sucks because we already have to grieve um, about the Celtics losing like that's part of loving a team so much but then you open up Twitter and you have to see all this BS it's pretty annoying yeah and it's like should the Clippers blow up their team like I know some people are like you know talking about I know some people think they actually should but at the same time like people think they should trade Paul George but it's like that team is older that that team has even bigger expectations and they did less than the Celtics and somehow it feels like people are more inclined to make moves with the Celtics and rip apart their roster and it's you know it's people keep saying oh Jason Tatum he's been here so, so many times now, you, you know, and he can't get over the hump. And it's like, you know, well, Jason Tatum has been there. This is what people say. Let me, let me actually put this in perspective because I actually want to dig into this now that I think about it. People are putting that narrative out there. I know you've seen it. They, they've made three out of the last four conference finals, and they haven't, they haven't gotten to the finals, right? That's what you're seeing all over it, right? That first team 
Did that, does that team have any resemblance to this team at all? Any whatsoever? It has Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown, who did not play in that series. Didn't really play at all in that series, okay? So they've done, they've changed over a lot from that conference final team. They saw that conference final team and decided, you know what? It's not good enough. Let's ch shake it up. And they did. And they made it back to the conference final in a year that they should not have made the conference finals. That, that was the whole narrative of that entire season. They should not have made the conference finals. And they, they, they made it in, in spite of the fact that Kyrie Irving went out and Gordon Hayward was out all season. And they went on this incredible, improbable run where Jason Tatum, as a rookie, as a rookie, took LeBron James to seven games and came up just short. Came up just short as a rookie. So now we're using that incredible accomplishment by Jason Tatum to lead a team to the brink of the NBA Finals as a rookie. We're now using it against him. We're beating him over the head with it, saying, you did this back then as a rookie. Why can't you get to the Finals now that you're 22? Because he's 22. Because he's 22 years old. And I tweeted this out last night too. The youngest player to lead a team in scoring in the Finals since 2008 is 27. It was LeBron and Curry at 27 led their teams in scoring to, in the finals at that age, okay? Jason Tatum is 22 years old. Why are you expecting more from him than LeBron James accomplished, than Steph Curry accomplished? There are some people that will laugh in your face if you say Jason Tatum is a top 10 player and then will reprimand Jason Tatum for not doing more than the best players in the league did at the same age. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head. It's, it's a toxic environment out there now it's people that you know want to have their cake and eat it too it's like no matter how no matter what happens they want to spin it in a way that there's something negative there's something um wrong with this celtics team and you know that that tate jason tatum example literally is almost um one example of many that you could pull because it's like hey He's done it before. Why can't he do it again? That's like holding the, um, you know, a team that makes it to the finals saying that if they lost, you know, one year and they don't even make it back next year, it's a failed season. It's like, no, you, you make the finals. And I'm using the Eastern Conference finals, I guess, in this example, Tatum. You make it there. You make it there again. You make it there again. And eventually you will break through. But just because you don't so soon after doing it the first time, I don't know how you can be held accountable or how I can understand being held accountable for it, but I don't know how they can hold it against you. You know, it's like, um, and this is probably a whole nother talk, but when people rag on LeBron for making it to so many finals and losing them, it's a similar thing. Yeah. Well, he's bringing his team to the finals. So, you know, does anyone really, really be like, oh, that's just an absolute tick against LeBron? Like, maybe it's if you're trying to compare him to Michael Jordan, it's a negative on LeBron. But no one should out, out there should be being like, well, it's a negative that LeBron got back to the finals again. And that's what they're doing with Tatum. It's like, well, he didn't get to the next step, so it's a negative. Well, yeah, but he got them right back to, you know, he's sniffing it so close to getting there. So it's just annoying. You're absolutely right. And it is the first thing I thought of too. It's the, Lebr it's the LeBron James syndrome where you accomplish something and people act like you did, you accomplished like less. You know, I, I said the same thing earlier that I said, if I tweeted out, if the Celtics had lost to Toronto in game seven, they wouldn't be catching so much heat right now. No pun intended. But, uh, and just to get back to that point, uh, like people are acting like it's the same team that, that has made the Eastern Conference finals each of those three times. It has been a different team every single time. One had uh, Avery Bradley leading it in scoring, basically, since Isaiah Thomas was out. Isaiah Thomas was out for that series. You had Avery Bradley. Uh, you had Al Horford. You had Jay Crowder. Then all those guys are gone. The next time you make it, yes, you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but you also have Terry Rozier. You have Al Horford. And Amir Johnson was starting on that team, right? Wasn't that the other uh, starter? But the point being 
that people are acting like, okay, well, this team, they've had three cracks in the Eastern Conference Finals, and they can't break through. Time to change it up. It's not the same team. It's totally different. And you and I mentioned this, I think, in pregame of Game 1, that this was the first time that they were in the Eastern Conference Finals that they were actually favored, that we actually thought, wow, this team should get to the Finals. And you know what? They came up short, so if people want to rag on for that, them for that, I guess go ahead. If you want to rag on this team specifically for this series and say this was unacceptable, that's fine. I'm not saying you can't do that. What I am saying is to turn around and say they need to blow it up. That's when it gets stupid. That's when you're an idiot, okay? So I, I think that even in spite of that, I also think this Miami team proved to be a better team than them. I mean, I mean, and I think people kind of looked at that Milwaukee series and said, and someone else pointed this out too, they looked at the Milwaukee series and said, wow, Miami knocked out Milwaukee for you. That's great. Uh, now you just have to beat Miami. And it's like, well, now we can look back on that with some revisionist history and say, as it turns out, Miami didn't. Miami beating Milwaukee wasn't a fluke. They and they were a better team than Milwaukee, and they were a better team than you. And that's kind of how that that's kind of what this series told me. It wasn't as simple as, hey, you should just beat Miami because we assume they're a worse team based on the regular season. It's like, no, they they them beating Milwaukee was no joke. That team actually is is you know was a it turned out to be a better opponent or however you want to phrase it, but. Just Miami overall was underestimated. They they were a different team, and you know that that break that they had, those three four months to grow or think or change or what they want to do. It was almost like an off season, okay? And they came back the next season basically after that whole layoff, and they were a better team. And we've seen this from teams before, like teams, you know, like the Nuggets for example. The Nuggets way back when were a nine seed. And then the next season they came back and they were a two seed. So Miami was a five seed, yes, during the regular season. They had this layoff and they came back and they ended up being one of the best teams in the conference. And that's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah, I do too. And, and like I think um, from the get, you kind of saw, you know, Jimmy Butler talking about this as a business trip. You really saw that tunnel vision go to town and like work out for them. And, you know, most aspects in life, people would be like, oh, don't have tunnel vision. When you're in the bubble, like, I couldn't draw up a better place for you to have tunnel vision. You see your goal. All you do is that everything you do is aimed towards that goal, and they're doing it. Like, um, it's it's a team that clearly was a real team, you know, and I think a lot of people did underestimate that because um, I know we talked about it, like you said, on pregame. We're talking about, and I'm sure we'll get into this, so I don't want to give too much away, but the, you know, the unsustainability of some of these, way, the way some of these guys are playing, it's like, well, you know what? Maybe they did just flip a switch and turn it on. Maybe those weren't flukes against Milwaukee. Maybe um, some of these guys really did just say, okay, we have a goal. Let's do everything we can to go win that, uh, to go get to that goal and win the finals or, you know, make the finals, whatever it may be. Like, clearly it was something sustainable because they were all playing out of their shoes, but they just stayed playing out of their shoes, you know? Even during games, if we look at it on the micro version, people would tweet me being like, you know, oh, the heat are on fire from three tonight. It's not going to keep going. And then that entire night, it just kept going. So, you know, it's like the, these guys were the opposite of anything you'd ever think. Like, oh, you know what? This You can't keep up this sort of play. Well, they did. And, you know, they, they may continue to do it as well. Yeah, and I also mentioned this, which uh, I haven't publicized yet. I just mentioned this to a few people that I was talking with, which was that I don't know, and I haven't publicized it because it seems a little silly, but are we sure Miami didn't get an advantage from playing in Florida? I mean, you know, it's um, like whether it be kind of just them being used to the weather or whatever it is, like them just feeling closer to home. Like, I I don't know. I'm just kind of... They played their home games in this kind of climate all the time, and I know that maybe the the, the arena's air-conditioned or whatever, but... uh, 
I don't know. I like this. There's a reason I haven't publicized it. It's not fully formed, and I don't know that I necessarily believe it. But I wonder if they got some sort of advantage from that too. I think that might have played a factor because if there was one seed playing home games, it was them. And you know, all of a sudden, this five seed plays great. So I do think it could have just been, hey, you know, improvement and. Uh, they were playing a lot differently. They weren't playing Myers Leonard as much anymore. He was screaming on the bench all, all the time. But, you know, they, they played two bigs a lot during the regular season, and they totally switched that up and, and were, you know, play, playing a lot better. I think that had a huge thing to do with it. But I don't know if the home court thing did as well. I mean, the thing you mentioned about the sustainability, that was what I talked about before. I didn't think what Crowder and, and Drogic were doing were, was sustainable. Crowder, I, I kind of was actually right about. He, he, he was... He'd been shooting great from deep ever since he got to Miami. He was like under 30% in Memphis and then 45% since he got to Miami, which we talked about already, but just absurd. Uh, and then in this series, he didn't shoot so well. It didn't, it didn't happen. You know, in, against Milwaukee, he was still shooting that great. He shot 43% from deep against Milwaukee. And then against the Celtics, he, you know, he only shot 25% from three this series. So uh, I guess if fans want to take some solace in anything... They can take some solace in the fact that it wasn't Jay Crowder's vengeance that, that doomed you. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, instead of Crowder, it was Iguodala, who had a perfect 4-for-4 four four in Game 6, which uh, hurt a lot. But, um, you know, but it was really, it came down to the fact, really drogic a little bit, and to a much larger extent, it was Bam. And I think that that's one of my two biggest takeaways from this series, is that we talked for so long about the Celtics needing someone to guard Giannis in a potential Eastern Conference Final showdown. And as it turned out, they really needed someone who could guard Bam. And the same type of player, kind of just, you know, a big who's going rolling to the basket, athletic, attacking the paint, and you need someone to stand up to that. And I think the, that's the biggest takeaway for this team moving forward is that you don't just need someone who can guard Giannis for, the, for years to come, which is what we've talked about. You also need someone who can guard Bam because that's a 23-year-old player Who's already an all-star? Who's going to be around for a very long time too? Yeah, and it's it's uh it's I, I mentioned it on the post-game show yesterday. It's something that you know for the entire season, honestly, almost up until like this point, I was saying, and a lot of people were in agreement, saying like the big man by committee. I think we even talked about it on one of your shows a long time ago. Like that works, you know. We have a guy for each of these little instances. What you don't realize, and what we didn't realize, which you know is a big thing, is that when you come down to having to play a team over and over and over and over again every other day playing this same exact team, you can't really have that sort of, oh, we'll just plug and play the good, the good center that night. This team is game planning against you just like you're game planning against them. And when we have, you know, to go to, you know, our options are Daniel Tice, Robert Williams, Cantor, and then Grant Williams, it makes it pretty easy for the other team to say, hey, we have a really versatile big. Whoever they're going to play, we're going to kind of run our offense in the opposite. You know, it's it's they, they're able to play you one night and then game plan right away for you the next game. Whereas regular season, that center by committee kind of works because you're playing that team once. If you throw a wrench at them, it hits them in the forehead. All of a sudden, you have the upper hand. But if you throw a wrench at them in the playoffs, it hits them in the forehead. All of a sudden, they rub it, say, that hurts. We'll get you next game. So um, I do think that that type of thing came back to bite them. And now it, it almost put a magnifying glass on a, a huge void on this team, which, you know, all season long, I was kind of defending that the center by committee worked. But um, seeing one center that has, you know, a, a handful of skills be able to sort of pick you apart, uh, pick each and every one of your bigs apart, um, to- tells me that, you know, it definitely is a need. So I'd push back on that a little bit. And the reason I, I would is this. I think Daniel Tice you know, as much as we praised him all season and the war on Tice, I'm definitely pro stopping the war on Tice. With that said, he's he's not an extremely talented player. And when you go up against Bam, that's evident. I think 
the thing that I go back to is Robert Williams, which is kind of when we talked about the center back mini, at least when I talked about it, my point was kind of Kant is your offensive option. Williams is your defensive option, and Tice is a little bit of both. Not a, not great at defending, not great on offense, but it, decent at each. And Robert Williams was supposed to be the great defender, you know, and, and he kind of wasn't, and he wasn't in the series. The question moving forward is, can he be that player in the future? Can he be... He, I mean, he's a great defender. He's a great athlete. Uh, I just... I question whether he re- he'll really ever get it. You know, too often... He's out of position. He's already there physically, but the mental side of things, he's just struggled with. And, uh, you know, I don't know if he's ever going to be someone that Brad Steven trusts trusts to be in the right spot on the court. Uh, But with that said, I mean, in this series, his raw plus minus numbers were actually kind of good. He was a plus 10. He only appeared in three of the six games. He was a DNP feed of the three. He only played 27 minutes total. And I think what that comes down to is... Stevens just, I mean, you saw when Miami would drive to the paint, they would put him, basically when Williams was on the court, Miami would put him in pick and roll, they would get guards on him, and they would try to get him to jump, and they would try to get him to come up and help when he shouldn't, and leave his man to the basket, and he too often does that, and that's kind of the problem with Williams, is that, you know, you need a player like that, with that, that of that kind of archetype out there to guard Bam Adebayo, but they didn't trust him, they didn't, th- they thought, you know what, yes, he can do it at, from a physical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint, he can't c- keep up with my, my, Miami's complicated offense, and that's why he wasn't out there, you could argue he should have been, because like I said, his raw plus minus was good, he only played in three of the games, he actually didn't play in their best game of the series, which was game five, so I, I don't read into that if you want to as well, but, uh, you know, I, I just think from a big picture standpoint for the future, I've always thought the development of Robert Williams is your best chance to have a defender that can handle guys like Bam and like Giannis, and I, I think he's he's built for that responsibility. I just he needs to develop that mental side of things. And, and Brad Stevens has been adverse to playing young players for a while, so I, I hope that that has something to do with it too. But if I if I have to point to something, I, I don't think it's the youth thing. I think it's just that he, he doesn't trust him to to understand what Miami's doing to him, and, and he thinks Miami was too smart for him. Which I think, you know, even the eye test kind of alluded to that at some points too. Like, he did go in there and, you know, had some flashy plays and looked good, but that guy jumps through the moon on a pump fake. Like, it's almost like you can give him, like, an eye fake and he jumps. So it is yeah. something that he has to work on. It's a pretty you know, big deal, honestly, because the minute you're in the air and he jumps so damn high, the minute he's in the air, he's like out of the possession. He's gone. He jumps like if he really sells or buys, whatever the term is, on a pump fake, he's out of the play because he's trying to block that thing into an infinity and then he's he's out of it. So I do think he has some mental growth uh, to go through. And I mean, you're right, like in saying that, you know, well, he's kind of the, the X factor that would solve it. But um, to your point also, like if he's the X factor and he's not even really close to being a trusted guy on the court, then that's a big problem. So, um, you know, he's supposed to be the guy that covers Bam, but at the same time, can't you make the argument that, oh, well, we can't rely on him to supposedly be this guy to cover Bam. Like maybe we could have, or should go get someone that can do it. Not that we're waiting on, not that we're hoping can, but someone that just can. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the core thought, my core takeaway from this series, which I kind of, I don't know if I said it in so many words, but I alluded to it at the beginning, which was this, that they're too young, okay? Jason Tatum is 22, Jalen Brown's 23, Robert Williams is is not ready to even start on an NBA team, never mind, to be a, like a key piece to a championship. So, you know, I, I just think overall the team is, is, is too young, and there's a few ways to address that. I, I guess, I suppose you could. You could look at it and say, you know, let's trade Robert Williams. Let's trade Robert Williams for someone who can do it now. The problem with doing that is that your timeline is already off. 
that that you know with Kemba and I kind of said this too is that and I know other people have alluded to it and that's why maybe maybe I would explore trading Kemba is because you know if we're if if I'm going to sit here and I'm going to say Jason Tatum's not going to win until he's 27 years old I can do that all day long I can say you know what star players don't win until they're 27 and Jason Tatum's 23 and then but am I going to turn around and say well don't trade Kemba because he's really good and I want him on the team when I don't think Jason Tatum's timeline lines up with that. I think that's me being disingenuous. So I would I wouldn't trade Robert Williams only because I think that his development can align with when Jason Tatum is actually ready to win a championship. Um, so I know someone brought up in your stream, like so I saw some people bring up trades, and I was actually happy to see this trade because so many people have been suggesting trades that totally devalue Kemba and think, well, you might have to attach them to Kemba. Who knows if somebody's going to want him? And I'm sick of seeing those. I did see someone suggest like a Kemba Walker for like De'Aaron Fox swap something involving that which I don't think Sacramento would do I think you said that too I don't think Sacramento does that because it doesn't line up with their timeline they're not ready to compete now and they I don't think they trade you know a young guy who's going to be really good potential all-star player for Kemba Walker who's on the tail end of his prime uh, so you know I don't see that happening but something something along those lines I, I don't know that I would really entertain it but at the same like do I want to trade Kemba for you know Dennis Smith Jr. or, you know, name like a, a young point guard that sure would align with Tatum as timeline maybe a little better, but is much worse. Like, no, I don't think there's any point in doing that. But at the same time, I think that maybe there is some sort of course correction here where you have to say, we want to be good right now, but we know if, if Tatum's the guy, it's going to be hard for him to do it soon. And and, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that. I, I will say maybe I'm wrong because the experience does help. Like a lot of young guys at the t- age Tatum is now don't have the experience he has. And, you know, Dwayne Wade did win, but he had Shaq, you know, when, when he won. And Shaq was obviously a guy that was very championship, had a lot of championship experience at that time. And Gary Payton was, was on that team and he was around. So I think you can win with those younger guys, but I don't even think I brought this up yet. Do you know that they, they didn't even have a player? I know a lot was made about they need a veteran who's won a championship. They didn't even have a player who'd been to the finals before. The only player they had on the roster who had even made a conference final before, outside of the ones that made it with them in recent years, was Ines Cantor, who, who made it with OKC in Portland. So never mind someone who, who won a championship. They don't even have someone who made a championship. So, you know, I, I think it's hard for me to kind of assess what this team needs to do overall. I think Kemba was right. I think, you know... No, not everybody on the championship team needs to be the same age. Okay, so so I'm not saying like you you need people that are all this 26 and 20. That's not really how it works. Okay, you, you just need Jason Tatum to be there. And can is Kemba Walker still going to be really good when he's 34? Sure, he could be. Chris Paul's still really good right now. And and they're and point guards tend to have a little bit more longevity. You know, I know that people will look at his knee issues and say that's a problem. I don't think Kemba's knee was was really an issue in this playoffs. It didn't seem to affect his minutes on the court. It didn't seem to uh, it didn't cause him to miss any games. I think he just missed shots because he struggled and he didn't have the playoff experience. He'd never been to the playoffs before Kemba. So this or he had been, but he'd never been past the first round. So the, I think his struggles have less to do with injury and more to do with the fact that him getting his first real taste of really high level playoff basketball. And in addition to that, him kind of just, I, I, I think that if anything, this playoff should have proved positive for those kind of injury concerns because they we didn't really hear about them at all. People speculated that that might be why he was struggling, but I don't think that's the case. So I think, you know, hopefully the idea is Kemba, you've already fast-tracked Jason Tatum's development because you've given him so much playoff experience. 
there's so much pressure on him that maybe that helps fast track it as well. He has more talent than LeBron had in 2007 when he took the Spurs uh, here and when he took the Cavaliers to the finals against the Spurs. So uh, there are some things that, that you can hope for. You build a more better winning environment than a lot of young stars have. So there, there are these things you can, you can hope that Jason Tatum will win sooner. I just, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to argue both sides of it. You can see I'm already, I already feel like I'm trying to avoid sounding like a hypocrite, but that there are these, uh, th- those are the kind of things I'm thinking about hanging into this offseason, at least, is how do you maximize, you know, what this team's going to do in the future? Because I think, like I said, I think Kemba can still be effective by the time Jason Tatum is ready to win. It's just, it, it might be, you know, a few years out. And that's that's why I guess I wouldn't trade Williams. If, if you can upgrade to a Miles Turner, you know, sure, I, I guess I would explore that. But it's, it, it's just, it's not something I feel like is totally, like, pressing i i think that you know holding out hope that robert williams can develop isn't like the stupidest idea yeah it's everyone needs to take a step back and be like oh we're almost there it's depending on a lot of things you're talking about tatum's age you know that the guys on the court the guys that are around him but it's like they're you're almost there like we we as celtics fans as you know just people need to understand that like we're there. Like, we are so close to making the finals. I'm not going to talk about winning. Who knows who's on the other side in the West, whatnot. But getting to that next step that everyone seems to hold against Tatum, even with this current team, he's almost there. They don't have the experience, obviously, but they will get the experience because this team's going to get better and better. So, um, you know, overall, in terms of, you know, and I know you had a, you had, you just said a lot, but my biggest thing is that they don't need to cause an absolute, like, wave. They can build on this team rather than starting a new construction. Like, they can put in a little addition on this team, um, and they probably will get better. I know I was looking into it earlier. I don't have the exact numbers, but I know the cap's kind of tight, and especially I think Gordon um, is opting into his, what, 30-plus million. Like, it's going yeah. to be kind of difficult, but it's not impossible, and you don't need the impossible to occur for you to get better or to get to the next step. Like, there's a lot of good that came from the Celtics team, and they don't need to do all that much to get to the next step. If if they, and I think you just said it too, about, you know, just upgrading or or getting a guy like Turner or anything like that, like, obviously, you know what I mean? Like, if, if a young stud walks into the room, do you want him on your team? Yes, you know? Like, it's, like... I think I think Celtics fans, it's okay to say that, but the minute you're like, oh my God, get rid of Kemba, he's he's like, it's just I don't know. Not much needs to happen for this team to get better. That's my biggest point, and I think that you know they're they're tied for money a little bit, but I think that they can make some moves here. Like it's not it's not crazy f- to expect them to be in you know uh, same if not better spot by season's end next season. Yeah, I think the real thing is that we talked last season about there being too many mouths to feed, right? You had Rozier, you had Marcus Morris. They they were bench players. They were really good bench players. And now we want players on the bench that like those guys. I think the difference is you don't want younger guys. And I know Morris isn't exactly younger, but Rozier definitely applies to it. And Morris, you want guys that are that are more veteran and ready to sacrifice to win. Because you, you have the guys that are really going to lead your team, which are Brown, Tatum, Walker. You need veterans that are comfortable not scoring every night, but just being reliable, good players off the bench and like guys that aren't going to demand shots, just, but guys that at the same time are talented enough to hit those shots when you give them the opportunity. right? So you're looking at players like can you get an Avery Bradley back? You know, could you bring someone like that back to the team? And you know, could he help at all? I know DJ Augustine's out there. I think him. Like I mentioned this on your stream as I'm listening to these players off right now. I said in your stream last night, 
I think I will die on the hill that Brad Wanamaker was the problem with this team. And I wasn't really joking. I what I meant by that was that the the thing you to fix about this team, the number one thing to fix is the bench. Uh, so you need to upgrade there is is what I really meant. So like if you can bring in DJ Augustine to upgrade over like uh, Brad Wanamaker as your backup point guard, great. Do that. You know, I this is a name out there that is going to be floated around because of his links to Tatum. Harry Giles is going to be available. Again, this kind of goes back to the cap. Like, I think they're going to have... They'll, they'll either have, like, the biannual exception or the mid-level exception, depending on, you know, what happens. But, you know, Jeff Teague, someone out there, too, that they could get. So so they'll, they'll need someone probably to take less to come to win a championship. And I think if you can, you know, maybe just be hoping for anything, you can hope that you've proved enough this season that players will come and be willing to do that because they believe you can win. So... Uh, you know, Serge Ibaka is another name I know that was mentioned. Uh, Aaron Baines, I'm sure people would love to have back. So you, you need players to, to come in, like, that can be, fill roles. And I, I'd love to have, like, a, I think someone mentioned, too, like, they need someone like James Posey. And that, that would be great. I just, I, I don't know who that player is out there that, that can be that guy for you. Like, I know Damari Carroll is out there. I, I, I think, I don't know if Andre Iguodala, I don't know what his contract status is. Maybe you could get him. Like, you know, you're, but you're, I would love to certainly get like a three and D wing. That's a veteran presence that has won a championship. I just, as I'm running through the names here, I don't see many people like that, but I mean, that's the player that you you could really use on this team is, is to, to fill that kind of semi-Ogele role that I know so many people aren't very happy with. Good point about like tying it back to what you originally said with the Brad Wanamaker and then obviously semi-Ogele. It's, it's tough because I've been pretty harsh on Wanamaker specifically, but almost like that is the, the, the whole like my, I'm, I'm in agreement with you in terms of it's the thought of Brad Wanamaker like Brad Wanamaker surely a fine guy I know he has strong hands they don't seem to mention that enough um I get it like he's probably a good guy he's a pretty good basketball player you know all things considered but the fact that you are forced to turn to a Brad Wanamaker off the bench you're forced to go to um Grant Williams as a rookie who still has a lot of work to do, like those type of things it just proves out that they don't have anyone ahead of them and it gets you know, a little dicey when you get there. So, you know, bringing in someone that isn't going to cost a lot, has experience, does, you know, have, you know, hopefully some serious like playoff experience, that'd be nice. But um, bringing in something like that, like it's not going, in my mind, it's not going to hurt your, your team because what's the worst that happens? All of a sudden you start taking away Brad Wanamaker's minutes. And, you know, if, if this new guy doesn't work out, you just go back to Brad Wanamaker. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like we're bringing in a small forward or a power forward to take Tatum's minutes. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, boy, this is a risk. If it doesn't work out, we're hindering Tatum. No, like, there's no risk involved in bringing in someone to sort of come off the bench and hopefully make this team better. Because if it doesn't work out, I've said this with the Isaiah Thomas take a lot. Like, you bring him in as a backup point guard. If he comes in and he stinks and he's nothing close to being a scorer like we needed, then you go back to Brad Wanamaker, back to square one. You're already there. Why not take the flyer? All right, Ed. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of the podcast. Really appreciate it. I wish it was under better circumstances, but uh, we'll certainly see. Who, who is your pick for the NBA Finals, by the way? I think the Lakers, you know. Unfortunately, I think that they're going to smack them, but hey. Who knows? This Heat team has surprised us before. Yeah, they have. And, you know, they're really built to play the Lakers because they have Bam, who we we've, we saw, and, and the guy that can really hold his own against Anthony Davis. And they have plenty of wings to throw at LeBron James with Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, Andre Iguodala. Like, they have plenty of guys there that they can they can throw at LeBron to give him problems. So if, if there was ever a, a team that 
maybe didn't have the most overall talent, but was was built for this matchup. It's it's them. They they have the defenders to handle these guys, and I mean they're gritty enough to to give problems. So I I think it should be a good series. And if I I want the Heat to win, just because I I I don't want the Lakers to match the Celtics and of all the things in 2020, that is the one thing that would would uh would put me over the edge. I think that would that would be the final straw that would drive me to insanity. So <laughs> I'm right there with you. All right, guys. Well, you can follow Evan on Twitter at EvGuyBoston. Check out all of his stuff. I know he'll have the Unleashed podcast coming back, the off-season editions, which are uh, a little more special than the other ones. So you're going to want to tune in for those. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at ByKJDO. Follow the pod on Twitter at Good Smart Project. Everything for Guy GuyBoston Sports because we're going to have a lot of stuff about the Celtics season wrapping up, the Red Sox season wrapping up, the Patriots getting into full swing. So be, be on the lookout for all that stuff. And thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you next week.